Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Calling Tau City. Turn on your radio. I know we had some words last time, but that was so long ago. I got your message It was a little harsh, you know It's still a little hard for me to hear Please take it slow Welcome to Starship Sofa Part of the District of Wonders network Everyone has a story in the District of Wonders Come and find yours I'm tuning in to your transmissions I'm hooning, waiting to be found I'm building rockets This is the Starship Sova, everybody. Welcome. Hello and welcome to show 684. I am your host, Tony C. Smith. Hello, everyone. Hope everyone's fine and dandy. Back with 684. I'll tell you what's coming straight in today's show. We have the main fiction, which is Cobalt Blue by Nathan McCann. Yes, that's all coming in today's show. I do hope you will stick around and enjoy it. Now, before we get into that, just a little heads up. I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but I finished the Severance, which is on iPlayer, is it? Not iPlayer, no, it's on Apple TV. Sorry, my apologies. It was on Apple TV. And this is, it's, I would class it as science fiction. This is the show by... What's that thing wrote and directed by Ben Stiller? And he's not in it, you know what I mean? He's, I suppose, known for comedy. But this was just a fascinating, like, look at. Let's. Careful. I'm not going to spoil, but basically, you you kind of. When you go to work for this company, which is a little bit like, say, Apple, you lose all your memories when you walk through this certain part of the building. And the kind of. What happens, you know, extrapolation from that, you know, like, because then there's two people, really, you know, because you don't know your outside self and your outside self doesn't know your inside self. And it's, what a show it was. What a show. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I mean, style-wise as well, you know, just these long white corridors and the people just seem to be, like, doing aimless, like, little tiddly jobs, you know, in this multi-million pound company, great actors, do you know what I mean, just fantastic, and I mean, the one, the one little thing that I had was every show left you on a cliffhanger, which is good when they're all there, you know, but it just, it was just like almost so frustrating, you know, it's the obviously the best thing they want is to kind of want you to kind of keep coming back for more, the producers, but from a, like a you know like a watcher's viewpoint, it was just like, oh God, no! What's happening? What's happening? What a clever show! What I haven't seen like a, a clever show, and it just you know sometimes there's nothing much goes on in the show, but just like I say, just extrapolating what could happen if this, if that. What a clever show! If you, I haven't seen it. I think season one has finished there now, which left it on a massive, massive cliffhanger. I presume season one's finished there now. So, 
please let us know starshipsofa at gmail.com if you liked it if you're going to watch it very interesting so the main fiction cobalt blue by nathan mccann this story is an original to Starship Sova. Nathan McCann lives in California. His wife makes pottery in the garage and his dog sleeps on the floor a lot. This is his first published story. You can be found on Twitter at NW McCann. Now, this story is narrated by Anthony Bobbington. Anthony Bobbington is a voice actor who looks just slightly off from how he sounds. From his secret volcano lair in Minnesota, he narrates podcasts and leaves leaves his soul to corporate America. Sorry, you know what that meant to be, isn't it? Leases his soul. I'm wearing sunglasses to see. I've lost my glasses at the minute, but these sunglasses, I can see distance, you know, they're kind of, but they're not that good because everything's dark here. <laughs> so he leases his soul to corporate America. He has previously recorded for Farfetch Fables, Tales to Terrify and The Sea. So, the Starship Sova is very proud to present Cobalt Blue by Nathan McCann. You have exactly eight minutes and twenty-three seconds. I lie to the couple decked out in evening wear. I don't lie to clients as a rule, but I always pad the time. Because when the time runs out, inside the door is good, and outside the door is good. But stuck in the doorway is very, very bad. They nod a little impatiently, which is understandable for what they're paying. Tonight's gig is the most memorable dining experience in Santa Cruz. One of our more expensive offerings. Got to factor in the cost of untraceable potassium cyanide. Kel says the tagline's dumb because a fifth of them won't remember anything on account of being dead, which is true. But marketing is my department, so the tagline stays. Kel should be here running lights tonight, but she's at the far end node dropping off an ill-advised mirror. So I'm stuck here with my big dude fingers trying to hit light cues on a tiny phone screen. A few stabs and I finally get the lights to dim, leaving a bright halo on the portentous serving plate in the middle of the table. I whip off the ornate cover to reveal five sushi rolls. The rest of the meal was carry-out that I replated on to fine china, but these rolls are my work. All five identical, but one prepped with gloves and a respirator on top of a drop cloth that's now burning in our incinerator. Life and death, I say, channeling my inner Vincent Price now hangs in the balance. It is time, my friends, to choose your fate. I'm not a people person, but I turn it on for clients. A little showmanship makes them feel like they're getting their money's worth. They share a wide-eyed glance and choose a role. Another light cue, and the space is transformed. It's the back of an old warehouse, but we've done it upright. There's theater lighting in the ceiling girders and black drapes to hide the walls. There's a bar, a first aid station, even a high-end laptop for calculating topological curvature. Anything you might need for a World of the Weird gig. And then there's our centerpiece. The rear wall of the warehouse is a pale expanse of solid stone. I tie a leather apron over my tux and settle a welder's mask onto my head. You see before you the living bedrock of the Santa Cruz Mountains, I say, gesturing expansively. Solid stone reaching as far as the mountains go. I can cut a door in anything reasonably rigid, but working right into the mountain just looks badass. Together, I say, you will walk through a door, and together you will taste eternity. I lay the drama on thick and flip down the welding mask with a flourish. Drawing out the knife and stone, I face the wall. It's an old Damascus steel pruning knife, the mottled blade curved like the bill of a hawk. Cutting a door is all about confidence. You feel the right spot, and you go for it. Hesitate, and it's gone. I start with the bottom edge, running the blade close to the floor so Mr. and Mrs. Sushi Dinner don't even have to step up. It looks like a cheap magic trick with a dummy knife, the blade sliding straight into the solid rock of the wall like I'm cutting cake but just wait until I pop the latch. I can feel the latch in there, solid and firm. Sometimes it's tricky if you're aiming for a node that's on some weird angle in the topology, but this one is easy. Kel and I ran all kinds of numbers checking the local curvature, 
This spot's perfect because it's got a nice juicy link to the far end node, so it's easy to cut a reliable and long-lived door. I slip the knife in straight at waist level and move it gently upwards. With a perfectly practiced twist, I reach in and pop the latch. What wasn't much more than a notional sketch in the local reality matrix is becoming an actual door. The lines I've cut are now strokes of rich ruby light glowing in the surface of the stone. I raise the stone and swing it hard against the door. There's a loud crack and thousands of minuscule fragments of blue cobalt glass spray from the door edges. They rattle against the welding mask and onto the floor with a sound like sleet. The sushis look rewardingly impressed. Nice to know we can wow the fancy folk. My friends, I say, dropping a floor mat over the glass. A table awaits you for your final dinner course. The door I've cut rotates outwards like some big reveal and Tolkien novel. The doorway itself looks like a solid panel of scintillating red light. I gesture grandly, my outstretched hand passing through the wall of light to show that it's harmless. I do hope you enjoy yourselves, I say a little too loudly as they step through. That's a key part of the dance. It drowns out the whispering you hear right next to a fresh doorway. There's a wordless something in the thresholds that really wants to chat with you, but it's best to ignore it. I exhale and my shoulders drop as I relax. I'm not kidding when I say I'm not a people person. Running this show can be fun, but it's exhausting. I cut a small peephole in the door. Looking through the welder's mask makes the opaque red light in the hole transparent to me. The mask's original filter has been replaced with a pane of glass cast from the little shards that spray out when you first crack open a door. Any glass with enough cobalt and lead will work, but the stuff from the spray is best. Who knows why? I could have just made goggles, but I got tired of combing the spray out of my beard. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm looking through the peephole, and it's just the cutest little scene. Mr. and Mrs. Sushi are seated at the table and grinning like little kids who have just dared each other to do something evil. I don't really do the whole sex thing, but even I can read the tension in the air. Money, sex, and death. That's our product, and come back again soon. This gig came out of the whole Legend of Fugu, that blowfish sushi in Japan that'll kill you if it isn't prepared just so. We wanted to give folks that same rush of cheating death. There's all sorts of fun to be had if you've got the skill to cut open your own little pocket in space-time. We call it a scaff. I thought it was some esoteric world of the weird word when I first learned it from a bunch of crazy Tuvan mystics. Turns out it just means closet in the local dialect. 
Our scaff is a room within a room, a rectangular section bounded by walls of red light, about ten meters by ten and maybe four meters high. From the inside, you see the faint outlines of another generic warehouse space beyond the walls of light. The physical location of the far end node is something Kel and I keep super secret. Don't bother to check the map on your phone when you get inside. Electronics don't work. Heck, the basic laws of physics don't work. If you didn't take the object in with you, you're hardly going to be able to budget. The two chairs the sushis are sitting on... A pro weightlifter could maybe slide them a few millimeters? The mattress on the bed is the squishiest foam we could find, but it feels like upholstered plywood inside of the scaff. Other than that, there are a few rugs, and our latest addition, the mirror. Mirrors and scaffs don't mix. The folks I learned this skill from wouldn't even take a piece of glass into a scaff because reflections are bad mojo. I never learned why, just took their word for it. But we're running a business here. Some clients come out for the no-guilt sexy times opportunities available from our resettable section of reality. And they want a mirror. So Kel flies across the country to put it in place. See, you can't do that from this end. Enter by my doorway, and you're occupying the scaff. Some kind of bubble in space-time. It's the same physical location as the space at the far end node, but you're not really there. You can't affect anything, take anything, or leave anything behind. Someone walking into that room from the other end isn't even going to know you're there. The sushis down their roll and stare at each other with morbid anticipation. Then Mr. Sushi goes wide-eyed and sways. He puts a hand out to study himself. I look away. My watch says we have six minutes left before the reset. They know if they get the bad roll, they're supposed to stay inside. But scared people do stupid things. I lean my tall bulk against the door and wait. With a perfectly practiced twist, I pop the latch. I raise the stone and swing it hard against the door. There's a crack and thousands of fragments of blue glass spray from the edges of the door. They rattle against the welding mask and onto the floor like sleet. The sushis look impressed. Nice to know we can wow the fancy folk. My friends, I say, a table awaits you for your final... The door disappears with a small pop. Where there was a rectangle of red light, there's now just smooth, solid stone. A pinprick headache starts at the back of my skull and I have a shaky, fading memory of Mr. and Mrs. Sushi collapsing in a twitching heap. They picked the wrong roll tonight. I smoothly draw out two small jewelry boxes from my apron. My honored guests, I say solemnly, may I be the first to offer you sincere condolences on your untimely deaths. I deftly trade their sushi for the boxes and drop the poisoned food in a bag. A memento mori of our evening together, I say, walking them toward the exit. As you were briefed, if the door fades, it means you had... A misadventure. In an alternate timeline, you entered the scaff, ate your roll, and then died dramatically. When the time expired, poof! That timeline was replaced with this reality you now see. Had you lived and both exited the scaff before the time was up, your timeline would have continued and here you would stand with bellies full of one last delicious sushi roll. But shouldn't we remember something? asks Mr. Sushi, looking confused. No. I shake my head in a manner I hope shows both sadness and sympathy. I'm afraid that reality is erased. From where we stand, in fact, it never happened at all. The throbbing in my head knows that's another little lie, but let's not sweat the details. But, Mrs. Sushi begins, one meal, one door, one trip to the scaff, one opportunity to cheat death itself. That is the service we provide. Join us again another night, but for now, I bid you adieu. I give a bow, and when I look up, they're still there and staring at me. I'm not cheating them, but reality being reality, I don't have any good way to prove that. Thankfully, they seem to take me at my word.
Mrs. Sushi gives a little nod, and they step out the door. You don't hang out long in the world of the weird without knowing how to mind your manners. I hold the bag at arm's length and head toward the incinerator. I'm sweeping up the glass when my phone chimes an alert. There's been a fire. A big one. It's a few blocks away from our far-end node. Historic old mansion burned to the foundations. Suspicious circumstances. The owner... <sighs> Kel, what have you done? Richmond, Virginia is the far-end node for a little operation. With enough prep time and math, I can pop open a scaff most anywhere on the continent. Might only last a minute or two and be a few cubic meters, but I can do it. But our big, juicy node here connects to the basement of an old tobacco warehouse in Richmond. Why? Just one of those unpredictable flukes of the topology. So we bought that place a few years back, furnished the basement, and put in enough deadbolts to secure a bank vault. Then started renting out our services. But now Kel might have put a little crimp in things. Not that I blame her, mind you, but still. I look up from my phone and there she is, fresh off her flight. Her boots laced up snug and her backpack hanging from one calloused hand. She's short and muscular and has held on to that aloof poise the army gave her. Hey, I say, aiming for neutral. How was the trip? Productive, she says evenly. Then she looks down at my phone and back up to me. We can read each other pretty well these days. Please don't, she starts, and the resignation in her voice cuts me hard. Hey, don't sweat it, I say quietly. You want some time? There's a tension and a vulnerability to her that I haven't often seen. She gives the smallest nod, dread swaying, and then a hitching sigh. Okay, I say. Give me a minute. Kel grew up pretty, poor, and black. That's a hard road anywhere, but especially in Richmond, Virginia. It was the proud capital of the Confederacy during the Civil War, and never really let go of those roots. Slaves by the millions passed through the city's riverside markets, heading to the plantations that kept the white-landed class fat, happy, and vicious. Jim Crow and old-boy politicians rolled that ball right on down the road. By the time Kel came around, chances for any kind of social mobility were... well, pretty much what you'd expect. Bad schools and an overworked single mom, and soon teenaged Kel was one of the Leather and Spikes street kids bumming cigarettes on corners and sneaking into punk shows. There were some bad decisions, then some worse decisions, then suddenly a bus out of town to boot camp seemed like a pretty good deal. We met in the desert. I didn't have nearly as colorful a past, just a fundamental oddness with people that made military structure a good waypoint for me. We were good for each other in ways it's not easy to put into words. She was my entrance to the world of the weird. It took a few years, but one night we were drinking beers out under the desert stars and the story came out. The older white dude her friend set her up with, the high society soirees they'd attend, the cute party trick he showed her with the compass and the lump of quartz that left her speaking in tongues and all his friends laughing. Then the trick where he'd whisper to her until she was stone-rigid and floating a foot off the fancy parquet floor. And then his favorite trick where something not there would enter through her chest and run down her nerves and make her writhe with ecstasy until he sent it back with a bell and a casket nail. That last one was the one that finally put her on the bus out of town. It was getting to be too good, she'd said, staring off over the wire at the dust and setting sun. I couldn't stop wanting it, and he knew that. Whatever he was calling up wanted to do way more than make me squirm and drool in front of him and his buddies. It wanted blood and bone and soul. And deep down, he really wanted to watch that happen. I'd nodded like I knew what she meant. I didn't then, but I do now. Whatever it is that whispers at the edge of a fresh-cut door wants the same thing. 
Hardest thing I ever did, she'd said, cracking open another beer. Walking away from him. And you know what the worst part is? There's always going to be a part of me that wants to go back. And now I'm cutting Kel a new door. Her lost eyes hurt to look at, so I'm focusing on the blade. You've got nine minutes and five seconds. You want the camera? Yeah, she says. And your Leatherman. We call it meditation. That's what the old Tuvans called it, too. They'd duck into their scaff out on the step and commune with their higher power. Saw it as a religious thing. They'd be severely disappointed if they knew I was making money off it. So I guess best for them they're all dead. Kel's meditation is different. I try not to watch as I cut a peephole for the camera and screw on its cobalt blue filter. She's a cutter. And with your own scaff, they can take on a whole new level of bad. I've seen her take fingers, nipples, even an eye. After the reset, she watches the recording before it corrupts out to static. Scaff memories fade fast, but something about the watching seems to bring her some peace. I almost miss it. A quick glance at the camera screen just to make sure it's lined up, and then I look away. There's already blood. But something in my brain forces a double-take. There's a guy standing outside the scaff. He should have set off ten different alarms. Nobody just walks into that Richmond basement without us knowing. But there he is. I whip open the door. He's a squirrely-looking dude, short and weedy with a crappy comb-over. He jams a serpentine dagger into the wall of my scaff, and I know we're in serious trouble. He's cutting his own door, and it's rush him or grab Kel. I wrap her up in my big arms and pull her toward my door. There's already a long gash in her forearm, and we leave a trail of blood. Squirrely Dude pushes through his door, and behind him are two stormtrooper-chic gun bros with shotguns. This has gone seriously sideways now. I put Kel in front of me and dive through my door, hoping my bulk will give her some cover. We hit the cement hard. If I can get my weight up against the door, all we have to do is wait for the reset. But the stormtroopers are too fast, already through the door. Gunfire and pain explodes in my gut. There's a gun butt coming at my face, and everything goes red. Waking up and not being dead is one of the bigger surprises in my life. Each breath is like glass grinding against my ribs, but at least I'm breathing. Whatever they hit me with was meant to be non-lethal, so yay for that, I guess? I've still got a squirrely wizard and two gunmen loose in our warehouse, with not the first clue what's going on. Okay, that's not true. Kel flies to Richmond, a fancy house burns down, bad guys with World of Weird skills cut a hole in my scaff. Maybe I do have a clue. Combat boots in front of my face lead up to one of the gunmen looming over me. Squirrely is standing tensely by my door. The other gunman has his back to the rock face, watching the room. And there's a fourth man now, tall and pale, standing over Kel. She's laid out, but breathing. I try to push myself up, and the room swims with vertigo. Stay down, big guy, says Stormtrooper. This ain't about you, so stay still or get a bullet. Your call. I raise my hands and surrender and ease back onto the concrete. The pale man still has his back to me. He's wearing some long black jacket like he's just stepped out of one of those sparkly vampire movies. His bleached hair is swept up in a spiky casualness that should look sloppy, but somehow manages to look rich. Then he turns to face me, and it all makes sense. Do you know who I am? He says quietly, because of course he's the kind of guy who says things like that. Yeah, I manage through the pain in my face. Montgomery Beauregard White. Though around here we just call you the asshole. Bummer about last night. 
He coughs a quiet laugh and walks toward me. He's not what I envisioned. Delicate, almost feminine. Older than he looks at first glance. As you say, he says, crouching in front of me. Though that bummer, as you put it. And here he gestures with the most effete air quotes I've ever seen. That bummer was my home, passed down through the family for generations. It was... No, I meant bummer you didn't go up with it. I can see that one stings. He's not used to the little people talking back. You'd be dead by now if I thought you were competent. My worldwalker says you haven't got the skill to be gazing into my home from here. It had to be someone nice and close by. What's a worldwalker? I interrupt just to break his flow. You are. And he is, he says, nodding over at Squirrely. Your little party trick with the doors. Worldwalking. Who taught you that? Bunch of guys. You don't know them. Indeed, White says, standing up. Well, our dear friend Kel here used that skill to take a look inside my home. Then she stopped by with a few drums of aviation fuel, and that's about to end very poorly for her. Jesus, Kel. She'd pestered me to learn the basics, and I'd taught her. She'd learned enough to connect to a nearby node and take a peek at the other end. Guess that leaves a trace if you've got the money to hire Mr. Squirrely to look over your arsoned-out house. Get her up, he says roughly, moving back toward Kel. The gunman against the rock moves to lift her by the armpits. White hurt her when she was young, and she spent a lot of her life making sure no one would hurt her again. She's tough and fast and fierce, and now he's grabbing her like he owns her. White twists her into a kneel, with a ritualized pattern of knots he binds her arms together behind her, then down to her bent legs. Where the cord touches her skin, it twists and curls like a hungry snake. A question, says a voice so close to my ear that I jump. Squirrely moves around in front of me, the sinuous knife in his hand, and I see the angled circuitry etched expertly into the blade. Up close, he's got oddly leathery skin, and the enamel of his teeth is crazed like old pottery. This dude's been weird places. I know your style, he says in a rough, whispery voice. Mongolia? Sure, I nod. Close enough. He's holding the knife like it's an arts and crafts tool, and suddenly I see the opening. He's no fighter. He's just White's little gopher tonight. I lunge up off the floor, fighting nausea and pain. He bats me down with a laugh. My hands are an inch away from the knife when he flicks a single finger. A column of wind drives me hard into the floor. He laughs again. Mr. White, he calls. With your leave, I'll commence disjoining this node. Commence away, White says distractedly. He's pacing a tight circle around Kel now moving something methodically in his hands. Stormtrooper drags me across the room toward the rock face, toward the door that still hasn't reset yet. Squirrely's wedged it open somehow. Kel! I yell, struggling. I'm thrown through the door and it slams behind me. And now I'm in the scaff. What sense does that make? Whatever skills Squirrely might have, this room's got to reset sometime. And then we're... where? When? Everything should just rewind to when the door was cut. Kel doesn't go in for meditation. They don't come through the wall. It all just resets. Except, what did he mean by disjoin? That sounds like bad times for me. Suddenly there's a distinct sense of getting lighter, like an elevator starting to drop. The plane of light that defines the top of the scaff swirls with spirals of blackness, like a spreading rot. I swear fiercely and push myself up to a rough crouch. Where the door should be, it's just a smooth plane of red light. Same for the spot where Squirrely cut his own door into the scaff. I look around the room, desperate for something that could get me out of this. I've got a welding apron and a tuxedo, and that's about it. Except... 
The mirror. The mirror that shouldn't even be in here. The Tuvans told me over and over never to even look at a mirror inside a scaff. Big, bad consequences, they said. But they never did say why. Time to figure that one out. I stagger to the mirror and see nothing but my rapidly bruising face covered in sweat. Falling faster now. Whatever Squirrely's up to out in the real world is wreaking serious havoc in here. What, what am I supposed to be doing? I run my hand over the mirror's face, smooth and cool. Do I break it? I press my hand into the center of the glass, knowing I'm not going to get this right, and Kel and I are both going to die. And that's when I feel the latch, humming under my fingers like it's a live wire. The blade's just a tool, I remember one of the wrinkly old Tuvans saying over the bonfire one night. Just a tool for the latch that's already there. Well, let's see how this goes with no blade, then. I reach, and the latch slides up and into my fingers. With a twist, I feel it unlock. There's rock inches from my nose. The rock face in the warehouse. I'm back outside the scaff, standing exactly where I went through my door. I spin, and there's squirrely to my left, Kale and White in front of me. I give my best war cry and rush the closest stormtrooper. He doesn't flinch, doesn't turn, doesn't react at all. And then I crash into him, and it's really more like a gentle bump. Like a parade balloon. I bounce off and fall to the floor, and no one seems to notice. What am I, a ghost? I look down at my hands and see I'm limbed with the crimson light of the scaff. There's a loud crack, and the falling sensation gets even worse. Squirrely is working at the rock wall, doing something to the edge of my door. It looks like he's stitching it closed with thick loops of red light. Disjoining. I can go after him, or I can try to help Kel. Whatever reality I'm in now can't be a good place if it scared the Tuvan so badly. Best guess, if I don't make it back to my physical body before the reset, then I'm probably not making it back at all. I stumble toward Kel. She's still bound on her knees. Here in Ghostland, I see the thread that holds her is crawling with barbed red light and writhing like a live thing. She's panting for breath, making a low keening in the back of her throat. White circling, chanting now, and his hands trail a hot tail of crimson in my new sight. Hang on, I say close to her ear. Just hang on, I'm going to... To what? Die here with her on the concrete floor? That was about all I have to offer. Then her head snaps back, and out of her mouth comes that familiar sound. That sound from the edge of a fresh-cut door. The far-off chattering of something that really wants to talk to you. Won't you just lean your ear a little closer now and listen? It's in her now, whatever it is. White is looking right through me at her, a hungry grin on his pale face. I reach for the cord crisscrossed down her arms. I don't have a plan, just a raw fury that she's going to die here kneeling in front of him. The strands lash into my fingers like hornet bites, like acid-dipped electricity. I pull, and I'm shocked when they actually start to snap. The barbed red lines twist and then part, spinning off into smoke. She's free. When she stretches out her arms, White's eyes go wide. Her mouth hinges shut and the chattering inside her dulls. She turns toward me, seeing me from a very long way off. Kel's there, but deep inside her eyes, so is something else. Something voracious and raving. She barks a single word. Run! And I do. I run across a floor that feels like it's pitching out from under me. Squirrely is twisting in the last stitch around my door when I slam to a stop against the rock. There's a scream behind me and he turns away, long enough for me to start unraveling. The cord comes loose in thick loops and piles up like a writhing snake around my feet. Kel has White by the hair now, holding him up off the ground. She moves with a jerky speed that isn't remotely human. The hired muscle are moving in on her, flanking around each side to get a shot around White. Pistols come up and my heart stops. 
and she rips White's head off. Well, her, whatever's inside her. Just puts her free hand on his shoulder and flexes, and off it comes. There's a geyser of blood, and Squirrely makes a little whimpering sound behind me. The light begins to fade around the edges of my doorway. Cold vertigo washes over me and drives me down. Everything's falling, the world folding in on me. I lash out to grab anything I can to hold on. As it all goes black, my fingers find the edge of the doorway. Everything hurts. I just want to lie here for a while and figure out what sort of afterlife you go to for a life like mine. But then I realize I'm staring at the swirling ceiling of the red room, and staying here is probably very bad for my health. Fighting the pain and vertigo, I crawl toward the open door. I seem to be solid and real again. Not the weird ghost world specter. I pour myself over the threshold to what feels like safety. But then I look up at the bloodbath. White's severely dead. The stormtroopers are laying in crumpled jumbles of blood and compound fractures. Kel is dragging squirrely across the floor by the ribs. He's thrashing and wailing as she stalks through the carnage with that same jerky grace. Please, he's saying through thin, bloody lips. Please, I know things. People, I can get you what you want. She tosses him over me and onto the threshold of the scaff. He starts to scream like she's ripping out his soul. Inside the door is good, and outside the door is good, but stuck in the doorway is very, very bad. The old men on the step had whispered about the threshold with haunted looks. I can only see the legs now, and that's a blessing. The manic, chittering whispers grow louder, louder than I've ever heard them, until they're ringing off the stone and shaking the warehouse walls. Kel shoves the door hard and squirrely is pinned. She grabs his thrashing ankle, and suddenly his skin goes limp and boneless, like something huge has slurped out the good bits for a snack. There's one final thunderous crack, and a huge geyser of cobalt-blue glass sprays like water from the face of the stone. Strong hands are brushing down my face. I open my eyes and groan as the pain washes over me. Kel's dusting the last of the glass out of my beard. She's bathed in blood. How much of that is yours? Not enough to slow me down, she rasps with a tight smile. Are you okay? Honestly, man, I'm really not. We were... very close to being dead. Or worse. That's going to keep me up nights for a while. I hear you. I say, pushing myself up. A decent chunk of the cliff has sheared off, but the rest of the warehouse looks reasonably intact. I look hard at Kel. Just me in here now, she says. It wanted me bad. Wanted to tear me inside out, just like it's been promising to since the very first time. She shudders then. I try to pull her into a hug, but she pushes gently away. I heard your voice. You cut me loose, didn't you? Yeah. I nod. Something about the mirror. It got me back out, and I got lucky. I was done, she says, settling down into the crumpled stone. I'd fought it as hard as I could, and it wasn't even close to enough, but once I was loose, well, it wanted the little dude. Why? It wanted to talk. They're all so hungry with questions. How do people work? How do we break them? How do we find more of them to play with? Someone like him has way more tasty knowledge to suck down. She looks down at her hands, flexing like she doesn't quite believe they're still hers. She's already washed the blood off of them. But it was me, too, she says barely loud enough to hear. I was still in there. Ripped his head clean off, twisted those guys into piles of bone and mush, and it felt... It felt good. 
I just nod. What else is there to say? We sit like that for a long time, and no one comes to check on us. It's California, and we sounded like just one more earthquake, I guess. Kel's breathing steadies. Hey, I say quietly. We should go fishing. What? Shark fishing. What do you say? I point in a direction that might be north. The Farallones. Little islands near San Francisco. Baby seals this time of year. Great whites show up for the buffet. I nod towards some of the squishier spots in the rubble. I say we grab some beers, charter a boat for a few days, and go chum these dead dudes into the ocean. You in? Kel makes a sound that could be a cough or could be a laugh. Yeah, I'm in. It's a good trip. We drink, we laugh, we cry. We pour out shots for the dead old Tuvans and the innocents Kel's childhood never had a chance at. We feed some sharks. Nobody comes looking for White or the others. Guess they left in such a hurry they never left a note. We clean out the warehouse and sell it. Bad vibes, as the local hippies would say. We make a good chunk of change, and they gut it for condos. I've got the serpentine knife now. And the world of the weird is a big, strange place. I'm wondering what else there might be to learn for two people like us. So with Kel watching my back, and me watching hers, we're off to find out. And there you go. Big thank you to Nathan. Nathan, well, oh, well done. First published story, sir. Fantastic. Keep Just keep burning that night oil in. Get more wrote. Anthony, it's just always a pleasure. Always a pleasure, lad. Thank you. So that is Starship Sova's 684 put to bed. Let us know what you think. Let, and again, let us know what you think of Severance, which is on B, BBC, Apple TV, Apple TV. Very good show, very good. It's been a while since something as clever for me, clever as that, has come along. Until next time, just like I say, good night from me. Thank you for listening. Anytime soon, can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio, I wanna talk to you. This signal's going light speed. By the time I get my say, I might already be on to you and on my way. But you're so far from here And at best I'm moving slow So I'm waiting on your call At home with nowhere to go Can you reach me? Is my signal getting through? Turn on your radio I wanna talk to you I wanna talk to you myself on a radio wave, I might get to you someday. If books were rocket ships, I'd need only the will to fly. I'm still building word by word, and I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out there by and by. I'll get out
Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.